Welcome to the Do Better Podcast. In today's episode, we are discussing how BCBAs learn all the things they need to know in order to be effective. This is Megan. And this is Joe. This is where we blast off to the final frontier in the search of improving ourselves in the field of behavior analysis. Thank you for spending time with us. Now let us begin. July 17th and yeah, I'm still at home. <laughs> I, just, I never would have imagined that it would be seven and a half months into this year and I'd still be at home. <sighs> I know it's like it, it, it's so when I think about think about how much you traveled like three years ago to now like it's like you were always traveling now you're always home so yep I should have been in Washington today doing a presentation for SOAR behavior analysis services I was doing like a workshop for them and then um, celebrating a friend's birthday tomorrow and then heading to Penticton British Columbia on I guess tomorrow or yeah tomorrow um, and spending a few days there and then we were on like mid week next week like on the Wednesday or something I was supposed to fly to San Diego to go to a Weezer concert on that Friday what? Weezer, <laughs> Weezer and Green Day ah. uh, this is the first time like I've actually been sad because like there's been a few things we've had to cancel over the last few months but yeah. this is the first time that I'm like come on you know I really thought by July we'd be doing the thing and then in August I was supposed to go to Bali so that's going to be sad too. But what I'm thinking about doing is like just pretending. I know <laughs> you just have this look. I'm, I'm a, like, I have like, if, okay. For those uh, listeners out there, um, you can't see my face, but I literally, when she hit said that she had, okay, first it started with Weezer and Green Day. Okay. <laughs> We're going to have to come back to Weezer and Green Day. But then when she said about Bali, going to Bali, I'm like mouth drop. Like that's like on my bucket list. Yeah. To get to go. Yeah. But, so I, so I think what I'm going to start doing though, it's a little bit harder. So on Monday and Tuesday, I'm like pretending like I'm in British Columbia. My mom's going to have Taylor and I'm basically working from like 9am Eastern until 8pm Eastern because that's what <laughs> I do when I go there. So, but it's all going to be online. So I'm like, well, yeah. while I'm pretending that I'm on my trip that I'm not really on, Maybe all of the rest of the trips I was supposed to have for 2020, yeah. I'm just going to pretend. So like in August, when I should have been in Bali, we're going to be in Cape Sandblast instead. And maybe I'll just pretend it's Bali. And then in September, when I should have been at Faba, we'll just do a bunch of like online Zoom things or something. I don't know. There has to be a way. I need that's, something here. <laughs> that's right. That's the, like this year would have been the first year I could have gone to Faba mm -hmm. because... I'm no longer a, a special education teacher in the in uh, my school system. I decided to become a full-time BCBA, um, 
and I love the transition so far. It's been amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I always have, ever since I, um, started with navigation, I always wanted to go fava because I hear great things about it. Yeah. Well, hopefully you'll get to go next year. I mean, you can attend virtually. The cool thing is they are, they're doing a virtual conference, but they've cut down a bunch. Like they're not really, it's mostly invited presentations and whatnot, but yeah. it's still, I think two days of content and the registration fee is only going to be $75. Oh, so, that's awesome. Yeah. Like, is that include CEUs? I can't remember. They had something in the email about CEUs. I can't remember if you have to pay extra or if that includes CEUs. Okay. I'll have to look at that. Um, if any of our listeners know what the, the prices or the CEUs, let us know. Well, well I mean, we I know, well, yeah, well, yeah, I, well, we could. Yeah. That's true. It's, I but, think uh, pretty sure it's on their website, but yeah. yeah. So that sounds so awesome though. Like $75 for a conference. I mean, I know for to learn like all those things. And, and that's great too with what goes along with our podcast today. It does include CEUs. You have to be a FABA member um, and you have to register in advance, but okay. you, you get CEUs with it. And they had a, a wonderful lineup of presenters. It's their 40th anniversary. So there's supposed to be a big celebration this year. <laughs> Oh man. But yeah, so I'm not, again, they haven't, uh, they haven't put forward the like official conference lineup with the change to going virtual, but it, it'll still be a great event. But then yeah. the other thing I'm really sad about is we finally had to pull the trigger this week on not having our couch to camp camp in September. Oh. It's just, we're, you know, <laughs> yeah. we're still in like high rates and it just wasn't going to be feasible by the end of September to have it. So yeah. now we're working on like plans for that too. So it's just been like, I think that's part of why this week's been so exhausting because it's yeah. been the final like nail in the coffin of like, yeah, nothing's happening <laughs> in 2020. Like it's just not. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to give 2020 a one star. I don't even know if it gets a star. I think it's uh, yeah. zero stars. Yeah, zero stars. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I that, we. I saw, that meme, I saw that meme with the one star like, no, it's not very good. You know, it yeah. just was so funny. Yeah. But uh, by the way, what's your favorite Weezer song and what's your favorite Green Day song? So I'm more of a Weezer fan than Green Day. I it was like going because that's just like the tour they were doing this year. If it yeah. had just been Weezer, I would have been there too. And the funny thing was that um, the for the tour, they were planning like shows in Jacksonville and I think Orlando and Atlanta. So all of those are closer than San Diego. Yeah. But my friend wanted to go to San Diego because she was having a baby and she just thought it'd be fun. Like, you know, her baby would be old enough by that point to like have a weekend away and stuff. Um, yeah. So anyway, favorite, my favorite Weezer song is El Scorcho from okay. the Pinkerton album. And my favorite Green Day song, I honestly, I don't really have one. I'd probably have to like see them. I haven't ever seen them live either. So I'd probably have okay. to like see them live, see, you know, what, because Bands are just different live, you know, so um, I don't really have one, I don't think. Yes, except for if your band is Incubus. I've been to an Incubus concert, and they sound exactly like they do on a CD, which is phenomenal. <laughs> um, and I love Incubus, um, yeah. by the way. But I want to say my favorite Weezer song is Beverly Hills. Yeah. Like, I See, know that's like that. For me, that's like the album that I was like, what the? What yeah. is this? <laughs> what? is this this is not Weezer but anyway I you know I've 
it's whatever, but. Yeah. And then Green Day is um, when September ends. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a great, like, I, I love that um, song. But um, yeah, that's cool that you like Weezer and Green Day. But uh, I, I definitely listened to them a lot during high school and college. So yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I always say like Weezer, you know, the high school years, teenage years, we all have a lot of angst and whatnot anyway. Yeah. But I always say like Weezer was what, I would just like play on repeat, especially Pinkerton, that whole album. It just it was amazing. Um, yeah. You know, right, you we know have what? a lot to talk about today. We do, we do, we do. We need to get back on topic. <laughs> Maybe we should add like some stuff on that to the Wheel Decide Wednesday. Like, what are you yeah. going to miss most about 2020? And uh, what's <laughs> your favorite band and stuff? So I'll put, I'll make some notes about that so we don't forget. Yeah. Um, anyway. I yeah, I, I was just going to say, I would love to know uh, Dr. Shane Spiker's favorite band, just for the <laughs> record, because I know he's a big heavy metal fan. Yeah. I love heavy metal, like when I'm working out, so. Well, but, Dr. Spiker, if you're listening, share with us your favorite band. <laughs> <laughs> but right. yeah, we have a lot of things, uh, a lot of things to talk about, and um, not only to talk about, but how do we learn all the things of being a BSBA? Yes, that is the plan. So we talked yeah. about, we had, you know, the episode about a month ago or so on like the list, all of the things you need to know to be an effective behavior analyst. And it was very overwhelming, but we shared a lot of resources <laughs> and probably scared a lot of people. But <laughs> so I, I told Joe, I wanted to do this episode because I thought it would be helpful to sort of like share how we learn the things that we learned and see if, you know, what differences there are um, in our experiences. Obviously, we're just two people. We don't represent the whole entire field, but it's still helpful to, to know how people learn what they learn. So just yeah. broadly speaking, what are some of the, like, if you had to just summarize in one sentence how you learn the skills you currently have as a behavior analyst, what would you say? Ooh, that's hard. Um, one sentence I would say I had a hybrid model of learning by, by doing and then teaching myself. Oh, I mean like, I'm sorry. I either learned by doing, my, doing things myself or I had colleagues to help train me. Um, but I know that's varied between the whole field. That's not speaking for all of BCAs. Right. Yeah. So my sentence, and obviously we're going to go into a lot more detail as we talk. <laughs> this would be the shortest episode ever if that's all we said. Um, mine is, I would, I would guess that 90% of the skills that I have, I taught myself. And the other 10%, I stalked people who I could tell knew more than I did. <laughs> I learned from them. So um so it's kind of similar to what, what you said as well. Yeah. So, um, so for this episode, I just put together like several different questions to ask. So I'm basically like interviewing us uh, for like, I'll just do that. And then, yeah. um, and we'll just see what points we come up with. And of course, we would love for our listeners to share. If you have any answers to these questions that you'd like to share with us, please feel free to drop those in the comments of where we post this or shoot us an email. So the yeah. 
the next question that I had when I thought about this topic is what is a realistic expectation that people entering our field should have around like how to master skill sets? And I thought it would be good for you to go first because you are more like closely, like that's more recently happened for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I can necessarily, necessarily say I'm newly minted, but I'm, I'm, I'm freshly minted <laughs> or, um, but anyway, so, um, I think the first thing that you have to understand is when you get in this field, um, especially if you worked in education or another type of job, is be ready and be humble when you don't know how to do something. Um, and that's going to happen a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah, it's, I, I, I'm going to tell you like, I, I'll tell you a little bit more, but um, so our coursework will only prepare you for about 50% of what the B, B, BCBA does. And that might be generous. Um, the other 50% is on the job training and seeking out help. Um, and I want you to also be, be ready to not know how to do something because that's gonna happen. You're gonna get into situations and you don't know the best answer or how to approach something. Um, so be ready to, to uh, embrace that. Yep. Um, and that was really difficult for me because I went through a field where I've been a teacher for 12 years and I knew what I was going to do. I was getting really comfortable. Like I, I knew what to do. I knew how to help people quickly. Mm -hmm. But now I'm in a new, I mean, yes, I'm still working with behaviors. Yes, I'm still working with kids, but it's, it's completely different too. There are some principles that are the same, some, uh, but there, there's a whole different slew. I mean, a whole wide variety of stuff that you do not know. And yeah. I would also say when you're in this field and you're starting brand new, no matter how long you've been in the field, be ready to accept constructive feedback. Um, if you can't handle being um, getting feedback and it's not always positive or it's not always the best feedback, I mean, like, like you want to, you want to hear that you're doing a great job. You're doing nothing wrong. Of course, everyone want to hear, hear that, but you're not going to grow. In order to grow in this field and be and become and do better, you have to be ready to accept that feedback from your supervisors. If you're if you do not like to get feedback, you want to be left alone, don't get in this field. Um, you're not going to help out your client, you're not going to help out the families that you serve, you're not going to help yourself out. And, and you're not also you're also not going to help out the people that you work around. Um, I think it's super, super important to be humble, to show up and be ready to receive that feedback and grow. So I love it. Before I, before I give my answer, one thing that I thought of while you were talking, you know, you said be ready to like not know stuff. So yeah. especially with you being, you know, more newly in that position and hopefully it's fresher in your memory than it is yeah. it's hard for me. It, I'm not joking when I say like, I mean, it was 15 years ago for me that I was like new. Yeah. So it's hard for me to think back that far and remember what that felt like and all that kind of stuff. So um, anyway, for that, like right now, like what do, do you have any advice that you would give if someone's newly certified in a parent? 
ask them a question or an RBT ask them a question and you don't know the answer in that moment of like, ah, crap. I would just uh, be honest. Um, be honest with yourself. Be honest with that RBT. Be honest with that parent. Own that, uh, own that, own that you don't know something. It makes you seem more human that this, that, that you're, and you're honest and that you can be trusted. And, uh, and if you don't know something, seek out help and ask questions because you, you don't want to go to the next session, not knowing how to do it. And be like, Oh, I still, I'm still thinking about that. Um, because that's not, because then that's just showing the parent and your tech that you just, you're just brushing them off. You don't know something. You're just brushing them off with, uh, with, uh, answer or their question is not important. Yeah. So it's important to like, if they ask you, you need to find that information out and seek out help. Um, because you're just, like I said, you're not, um, providing that help that your tech needs and you're hurting other people in the process. I love it. I love that answer. And I love the point about being human. I think like that's one of the great things about our field and like you're helping to model for the tech, but also with the parents, like we are a field based on experience and data and research. And so we won't have all the answers. And like, there's so many different variables and context and um, areas that need to be targeted that come up that it's like, we can always just say like, Oh, that's not something I've encountered before. I need to do some research on that and I'll get back to you. Or if you, for whatever reason, if it bothers you to say that you can say like, I don't have an answer for you yet. Let me, you know, do some work on this and I'll be back next week with some information for you. Right. So yeah. you can frame it. However, like if, especially cause there are different contexts where like, if you say it a certain way to a certain person, like a parent or a teacher or something, if they're too judgy or whatever, if you yeah. say like, Oh, I don't know, then they like, don't trust you. Like it actually harms things or whatever. Cause they're like, Oh, my behavior analyst is an idiot. But 99% of the time people should be fine with you saying yeah. you didn't know. But of course, if you're in that 1% situation, you can obviously like frame it a little bit differently. But the point being, don't try to like make up something on the spot yeah. and like, everyone suffers because you didn't know an answer and, and couldn't admit it, you know? So yeah. I actually had an issue once where when I was in grad school, one of the professors that I had, you could tell like he was really uncomfortable with not knowing. And it was his, like one of his first times teaching a college course. And yeah. we would ask questions, innocent, like not trying to be jerks or anything, just questions we had. And he would get so defensive and so mean and just like shut people down like people ended up stopping asking questions too. Like they yeah. were just like, cause they were like, well, he's just going to yell at me. Um, so one of his, uh, supervisors came in to observe. And of course class was like perfect that day. But anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> so point being though, like also check yourself, make sure like yeah. it, it, it's going to feel uncomfortable and your heart yeah. might beat faster. You might have all sorts of internal dialogue about like not knowing and like being nervous yeah. about that but don't take that out in your reaction and like answer to the question. And that's another reason why like having a short response of like, Oh, let me check that out some more and I'll 
tell you next week is a lot better than trying to like give some sort of explanation. And then it turns into you just being defensive and like argumentative or something. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I, I, I think, um, being humble is the biggest lesson I've learned in this field so far. And, um, that you owe it to yourself and to the people that you work with to be humble. So, but no, I mean, that, that was perfect, Megan, too. I, I love the, like the responses that you gave too. Thanks. Okay. So finally I'll answer yeah. the question, realistic expectation for mastering skills. So um, mine are pretty similar to yours. So one is just like, be ready to jump in and do it. So regardless of what it is, I know it, like part of this will be a little bit different from what we were just talking about, but you're like every session you go to, especially when you're getting your first set of clients, you're going to be a bit nervous and you'll, you'll wonder if you know what you're doing, but you won't be able to find out what you know and what you don't know until you just jump in there and try it. So that's a big one. Be ready to ask people questions. Um, you mentioned that as well. So you can check your thought process and get feedback. One of the things I wanted to clarify about the asking questions though, is it should be, it should be about that. Like I was thinking such and such is that, am I on the right track? As opposed to just Johnny did X today, help, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like don't come into it without having done any of the work. Like you yeah. went to school for this, right? Or like if, even yeah. if you're an RBT, that's like doing your course, your supervision, you're learning about these things. The only way to really develop your skill set is to work on applying what you're learning. If you just say help <laughs> all the time and you don't demonstrate any attempt to like apply what you know, it's hard to help you because a, we won't know what your skill deficits are, right? Like yeah. if you don't tell me what your thought process is, I can't help figure out like, Oh, you haven't learned about such and such yet. You need to learn about this. Or if you learned about it, but your understanding isn't correct or some, you know what I mean? So I think it's really important to like talk about how we ask the questions too. It's not just like go tell someone you don't know anything about it and expect them to do all the work for you. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Be ready to refine your process almost daily. And I would, for that one, I'm talking about a lot of it's like organization. I can't even tell you how many different ways I tried like taking notes in session. I had pencil and paper. I had a computer, I had a tablet, like all these different ways to keep myself organized to like give people that I was training and coaching their feedback. Um, or like, how do you organize the client's binder? How do you organize index cards? Like, what does that look like? Like that, a lot of that kind of stuff, like even I've seen people share tips and whatnot with each other, but a lot of that's about your own personal preferences and like what flows best for you. So, um, be ready to like recognize when something's like blocking you from doing things efficiently and just change it and and fix that. Um, don't be like, well, this is how we're doing it. We have to keep doing it this way. Yeah. Um, by the way, thank you, Central Reach. I love the platform because (laughs) that's what we've been using. And I, and I've done the paper pencil, but Central Reach has just made so much, I mean, has made it so much easier for me as a UPA. That's so, good. yeah. My last point with this question on what to expect, though, I, a lot of what I've already said puts the onus on you as the new BCBA or like person learning in this field. But there is one caveat to that. When you're learning and it like working on developing a skill set, you should have some sort of model to go off of. So whether you're an RBT, 
um, or not, like if you're just a trainee, like get not just, but if you're a trainee yeah. getting supervised for your field work, if you're a teacher, if you're a paraprofessional, if you're a parent, or you're a new BCBA, or you're a seasoned BCBA that's <laughs> learning something new, whoever you are, when you're trying to learn a new skill, I mean, research is clear on this, having that like behavioral skills training format where you have like the rationale and the model and you get feedback is the most effective way to learn new skills. However, realistically, we don't have enough people in our field and we surely do not have enough people who are seasoned to yeah. do behavioral skills training to 100% fidelity for every mini little skill that you're going yeah. to need to develop as a behavior analyst. So I'm not saying like you'd get it for everything, but especially for like the big skills. And we'll talk about this when we talk about how we learn some of our stuff, like how to do an intake, broadly speaking, how to do an assessment. Like you should have at least something about that modeled for you that you can imitate and then try some things and get feedback. Um, and, and it'll be an ongoing thing. It might not be super fast. It might be months in the process. It might even be a few years before you're like, oh, now I'm finally comfortable with this. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, when I did intakes though, no one ever taught me how to do an intake. <laughs> like it was just like thrown in there, like just, you know, go meet with the families and like see what they want to work on. I was like, okay. Um, so I never, there's a lot of things that I do that I never had modeled for me that I just had to figure out on my own. But I would say, especially given the diff, like the better and more well-established supervision model that we have now for, a, for, a, yeah. I would, yeah, at least 50%, but hopefully more than that, like of the big skills that you're going to be doing on a regular basis, yeah. there should be a seasoned BCBA modeling at least once for you, what that would look like. And then you need to try it. Yeah. I, I completely agree, especially the intake process. Um, that the first like actual practice like that I had with it was watching um, another BCBA that I work with um, actually do an intake, and I watched how she did it, um, and it was super helpful. Um, but it doesn't replace the fact. I mean, the, it doesn't replace actually doing it yourself and learning like oh. I did this right. I did this really well. This I need to work on because I didn't do it as effectively. Um, and I need to continue to, you know, refine that process with intakes. Um, that was one of the things that I, I was lucky uh, with um, having someone to model it for me, but then also being able to do it on my own. Um, and also having having a company that had all the procedures uh, typed out and allowing allow me to know like I mean it allowed me to check off like all right I did this I did this I did this I need this done this done this done yep. and it it just helped out so much and I would say if you're working somewhere where that doesn't exist then you should try to meet with the company and ask for like what where are your processes like get can we make it even if if it doesn't exist and um, when you're asking for that additional support, it's helpful to, to volunteer to help make it, you yeah. know, because part of the reason something like that might not exist realistically, especially in our field, as it stands now, again, with not having enough people is there just might not be the manpower, the, the, the person yeah. power to make it. So yeah. if you have like, if you find a need like, oh, we don't have a processes, um, for this in place, 
could, could we work together to come up with a checklist <laughs> on that, you know, um, or if there is a checklist, but it's super confusing or outdated or whatever, don't just like complain about it, but offer, especially as the, the newer person going through it, it's helpful to get your feet, that person's feedback. Like when I, um, own navigation and we ran everything like at some point I was no longer doing intakes. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I would start to lose sight of like, what are new things that need to be added or coming up and things like that. So we relied on the feedback of the people doing the intakes to like, tell us, you know, Oh, we need to change this thing or we need to update this thing, you know? And I think that's important too, Megan is like, you know, if you're, if your um, company that you work for or, just the smaller company that you're working for does not have these processes in place, step up, learn how to do them correctly and, or seek help, help and make them yourself. Not only are you helping out the company that you're working for, but also you're helping out um, all the other BCBAs, technicians who are going to use that form um, to do intakes or whatever, process your you need that form for um and also you kind of like for me like it's important to leave a legacy that i'm proud of um and that's to me that's that's what's in the back of my mind what can i do to um just to make this company better what can i do to support my company that i'm working for and that's where my mindset is it, at all the time and why I always try to step up and do something because I want to leave a legacy and uh, provide that help because it's not just going to help me, but it's going to help out my, the new BSBA that's going to come in five years or it's going to help out my colleague who's, who has a really difficult kid uh, that they're working with for the first time. Yeah. So leave I a legacy. That. <laughs> leave a legacy I love it and I do I, while you were talking like kind of a shameless plug but for people that don't know and actually Joe you may not know this either because we haven't <laughs> talked about it yet yeah. but one of the things that we do with Life Tribe it, um, it's it's newer not newer in that like the person doesn't know what they're doing she definitely knows what she's doing but newly being offered yeah. uh, Jennifer Phelps who is the co-founder and ran a very successful business called Engage she is offering business consultation and we also have like life tribe business services where people maybe they they legit don't have the time and the resources to like make all that stuff um and we have uh resources for that and i know there's other companies out there doing similar things to help aba companies improve their operations and whatnot so if you're listening to this and you're like there's no way we'll have time to do that kind of stuff, but we need to have that in place. Uh, feel free to check out. It's just lifetribe.us. I'll put it in the show notes to learn more about it. And I know right now uh, we're kind of limited in terms of we can't take on too many companies at one time to help because then we would be in a similar situation. <laughs> and it's not my, I, I help with like the clinical piece of it, but um, anyway, so shameless plug, but there are, and it's not just Life Tribe. There are other companies that yeah. do that too. So. And just FYI for all the listeners, we are not advertising. I mean, like what we're saying is just because our experiences, but we're not getting paid at all with yeah. any company. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I like make money, but it's not from uh, biz the business side yeah. of things. So, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. 
So the next question, I thought it would be helpful to share some examples about how we've learned different skills, but to break it apart into like things we've taught ourselves and things we receive mentorship on. So the okay. first one uh, I have on here is to share one to two examples of skill sets you've taught yourself. So I don't know if you want me to talk first or if you want to talk first, Joe. Yeah, why don't you talk for us about this? I'm, okay. I'm interested to see your, your thought process. Okay. So as I mentioned in the beginning, like, I feel like thinking back on things, like 90% of what I do, I taught myself. And yeah. I know that sounds like a lot, but it's just, it's reality. And also just from the time of when I started in the field, there wasn't as much going on with like close supervision and stuff. But anyway, so I narrowed it down to the seven steps and the early start Denver model. So the seven steps, I would say I taught myself, I had a client when I was freshly the clinical coordinator at FSU at that time. Uh, well, I guess it's still the same name of the early childhood autism program. And we only did in-home services and we had a couple of clients who were engaging in escape. I'm using quotes, escape, <laughs> maintain challenging behavior. And they, they weren't responding to traditional escape extinction. So I, you know, just further assess what was going on. I was like, okay, well, haven't seen this before, but you know, we have a science here and I just need to take data and do a, a functional analysis. And the way that I learned functional analysis at FSU was to manipulate environmental variables and see what turns a behavior on and off. Might sound familiar to some of you <laughs> <laughs> from like the PFA standpoint, but so we didn't do, you know, a traditional FA. I just played around with turning, you know, putting certain antecedents and consequences in place and taking data to see, you know, did their challenging behavior decrease or increase? And what we found was, uh, you know, the traditional things weren't going to work. And instead we needed to make sure we were having enough fun and be using enough demand fading because for both clients there was an aspect of de presenting demands that was aversive so we needed to make sure we weren't doing too high of a level of demands and we also had to make sure we were having enough fun in the sessions with the like back and forth type thing so part of why they were like what was happening with the escape related behavior was it was fun to like run away from the instructor and have them come at, come get them and like have like a physical interaction with them. So we had to make sure we had enough going on. These were like four and five year olds. So like mm -hmm. chase type games and like just some of that physical interaction that everyone consented to tickles and, you know, maybe getting thrown on the bed or whatever, like fun <laughs> stuff you could come up with. So having a, a thick enough schedule of those things happening as well, so that wasn't, I didn't fully come up with like the seven steps as Robert Schramm talked about them, but it was basically the same idea. And that was in 2007. So that I would say pretty much like came up with, and I think there's a lot of BCBAs who have similar stories that came up with alternatives to like what they were trained on escape extinction. Now, part of like, obviously I would not have been able to teach myself that if I had not learned in my classes about, you know, demand fading and motivation and reinforcement and functional analysis. So it's taking the things that I learned that in my coursework and applying it with a client in like a novel situation. So I don't want it to sound like I didn't even need to go to grad school. What I mean by teaching yourself is like you're encountering novel situations and yeah. 
you know, teaching how, yourself how to, to apply the science to those situations. Uh, so that's the first one. Any thoughts or questions about that? Yeah, that was really cool. Like, um, I'll tell you mine here soon, but um, no, I don't have any questions. That's really cool how uh, you thought of a problem and you uh, just applied the science. Yeah. So that's crazy how that works. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, and then the other one is the early start Denver model. So this one's a little bit more involved, obviously, because that's a whole entire um, yeah. treatment model <laughs> based in behavior analysis and developmental research, but. It's, it's much broader than, you know, addressing a challenging behavior. So for that, I bought the book as soon as it came out. I saw the research study. I read the book. I, I sought out any additional materials they had. They, at that time, they had like PowerPoints and things that they would send you. So I did like, I, we got all the PowerPoints and the videos and I had with my little group at Navigation, I think there was like six of us at the time and we just all met at my house. And um, I self-taught me and them at the same time and just said, we're going to dive in and like figure this stuff out. And we applied, we didn't apply all of it right then in 2010, but we did pull into a lot of our sessions, like the work that they had done on imitation and vocalizations. And we kind of just changed a, a lot about how we were like following our child's lead and things like that. And then now for the, the rest of it, like the second part of the story around early start it's teaching myself by taking their courses. So it's kind of a combo, right? Like they created resources where you could online take a course to learn more about early start and it had video examples and whatnot. But I still had to put in that work, pay the money, sign up for the course <laughs> and not just blindly watch it, but think about as I'm watching it, okay, how can I apply what they're showing me to the clients that I'm serving or to the people that I train so they can apply it to their clients. So I still had to actively take away like joint activity routines and what does that mean? How do we change our sessions based off of that? And those types of things. So, um, so even when like, if you're part of teaching yourself is if you're reading the books or watching a training or whatever, it's not passively sitting there and hoping yeah. the information just seeps into your head and all of a sudden you have the skills, right? It still takes active application and thought about how you're going to apply what you're learning. Yeah, that, you know what, that reminds me of like lock the episode on a uh, lock and key where, um, have you ever seen lock and key? Mm -mm. Okay. It's a, uh, it's a show on Netflix. Love it. But the kid wanted to learn more about English history. So he had this key that unlocks this door to, to his like, um, brain. So he just tossed the book in inside the door and boom, he instantly knows everything about uh, English history. And only if we could do that as BCBAs, we would have all this wealth of information. Right. <laughs> but so what was the most difficult thing for you during this process of teaching yourself? I mean, a lot of it, like, that's part of the thing. Like, I don't necessarily find any of it difficult. It's the, um, like, commitment to just doing it. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it's putting in that extra effort. So like with those two clients back in 2007 who weren't responding to traditional escape extinction, it was super easy and it happens all the time. We could have default just been like, well, guess that's not changing then. Cause like our typical stuff's not working. And you see that happen all the time in the field yeah. where somebody's trained to do a certain thing 
when a certain uh, behavior is happening or a certain response is happening. And if that doesn't work, they just throw their hands in their air and they're like, well, this is what we do for this. So I don't know. And that's like the exact opposite of what we do <laughs> as <Yeah>. a science. <laughs> that's like, we'd know nothing about behavior analysis if some of our um, the, the people, the wonderful people whose shoulders we stand on, like did, did that, right? Like if Skinner yeah. was just like, well, the rat didn't press the lever, I guess yeah. that's it, you know? Um, so we have to engineer and we have to figure out like what's going on. Why isn't it changing? And, and the, the really sad thing is I, for, for both of those cases, I was not present. I graduated and then I came back a few months later of uh, six months, seven months later, and these learners had been engaging in that behavior for that time, that six months. Yeah. So when I came in, that was like the first thing I wanted to tackle because I was like, when I left, they weren't doing this. And now yeah. I'm back and I and like, I'm not a student anymore. And like, what is happening here? So um, part of it was like, whatever motivation changed and shifted for those two learners. But it also, nobody, nobody apparently had the skill set or was going to take the time to figure out what to do differently. They were just blindly applying that traditional escape extinction. So I guess like to me, it wasn't a hard decision, but I think for a lot of people it is hard. And that's the whole reason the yeah. movement exists to go yeah. against and be like novelly apply the science we know to figure out what's going on when what you're traditionally trained in doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. And that's how I got like, was so interested in early start too, because a lot of the stuff that they were doing, especially with imitation, I had tons of clients who were not making progress on imitation. And it was like, well, there's got to be something better <laughs> out here yeah. that will work for them. So the hardest part with early start for me, again, it wasn't so much um, like understanding it or anything, but I would say the thing I'm most like disappointed in myself about is I only sought out the information that I needed at the time. So like at that time, I wanted to help my learners who were struggling with imitation. And we really only pulled from it the things that that met the imitation yeah. difficulties we were facing, and then a little bit from vocalizations. It wasn't until like five years later, that I really like consumed the whole model and like learned more about the joint activity routines and the importance of that and like building flexibility and all those things. So apparently it was hard for me to see the value of the whole thing <laughs> when I first encountered it. Yeah, I, I understand that. I, but I also would also say, um, isn't that the, also the downfall for, to being a BCBA too? Is like, we have all these things to learn. So in the moment, it's, it's almost necessary for you just to get the information you need. Right. Um, so, yeah. and, and that's what I'm finding too, is like, there's a whole like act. I would love to dive into act, but there's only certain components that I really need right now. Yep. But, um, because I also had to learn a whole slew of other things that, um, as a teacher, I didn't have to worry about. Right. So. Yeah. And uh, one, I guess one thing that I did think of as we were talking about that with early start and it, it happens with most of the assessment based materials I've encountered one of the hard parts is figuring out where to fit things in. So it's like we were already using the VB map and everybody was pretty fluent with that. Like how do we fit in the assessment component of early start? And like, yeah. we didn't, we just didn't do it. It was like, use this to help with your programming, um, refer to the list of skills that need to be assessed and like pull stuff if you need to, but stick with what you're fluent for your, your overall <laughs> assessment yeah. process. Right. So, yeah. um, 
so that like, there are things like that sometimes too. It's kind of similar to what you were just talking about where it's like, you focus on what's most important at the time and then, you know, grow from there. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, so there's definitely a lot of things that I still have to apply and learn and grow. Um, My story is a little bit different from you though, Megan, is because I came into, um, I was very fortunate to have a great company who was already doing a lot of training. Like when I came in, Peak was like really, I mean, it still is really popular, um, but I, there was so many Peak trainings constantly. So I was learning about Peak and I got training on it and that was awesome. So I wasn't blindly like just left into the darkness or like here's here's peak here you go 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 and complete assessments um but i have a great team behind me um to help me that train me on peak um but i couldn't say i can't say that for like my whole entire career um because assessments was something that i did have to do as a teacher as well and i know there are some there's some bcbas out there that might feel this way um, I was handed assessment as a teacher and like, Hey, I need you to do this. Um, does this, does this thing have a manual or, <laughs> you know, what, what, what is this? So uh, I had to like seek out, um, the manual and like read through it and see how it's best implement to, I mean, how I can best implement this, uh, assessment, um, and how to administer it, how to rate, I mean, score it. But another thing that I had to learn on the job is um, intake. Well, I did, I had to have a lot of colleagues that helped me out with intakes, but um, once you get in the process, then you're like, okay, I need to do like this area better. So, and it's just reading through the materials out there for like intakes and like how's the best to present it. Same way with parent training. Um, I have the Ruby, read through the Ruby, gained the information that way. Um, so I can apply in my um, um, parent training uh, sessions. So, and that I didn't read the whole book yet, by, but like you with the um, ESDM, I just went through um, the sections I need. Eventually, one of these days, I am going to go through the whole Ruby. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, this, we're going to go through this next question, but I, I want to, I just don't want to lose this thought. So when we're talking about like, you get what you use, what you need, right? So yeah. right now I've had not really, I haven't really had free time, but I'm not traveling. Yeah. So I've signed up for some courses, um, through the OCD Center of New England with uh, Lisa Coyne and Evelyn Gould. And I love them. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. But the three courses I signed up for, like, I don't have any situations right now to use any of the information that I learned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and guess what? It's gone. It's, I mean, it's not gone, but it's like, I'm not like, I'm not like, oh, this, you know, I, I know so much about this thing now. <laughs> yeah. Right? So it, it definitely speaks to the value of like in the moment, like when that um, MO is super high, like then being like, oh, I need to like learn more about this thing right now, you know? And I think sometimes there's a tendency for people, especially with 
our list podcast episode mm-hmm. to see all of those things and be like, oh man, I know like zero of those things I need to yeah. go read about and learn them all. And then they overwhelm themselves when in reality, and we talked about this on the list episode too, yeah. it's actually more beneficial to like, you know, when the moment happens where you're like, oh, this client, I need this thing, dive in and learn about that. Because when you apply it right away, it's going to stick much better than if you're yeah. just like preventatively trying to learn all this stuff, but you don't have a time to practice it. Yeah. And that's where like, um, I, I, one of my colleagues as a teacher too, um, she was like, um, the best thing I have learned is I, after training, after, you know, going through the process of, of a professional development for a certain um, new way of teaching or some type of professional development, I apply it to my classroom within 24 to 48 hours. Yeah. I think as a BCBA, that's what I want to do as well. Like when, once I'm done learning something, I want to apply it within like two days. We'll see. <laughs> because, <laughs> um, but we'll see if that's overreaching, but I would like to learn it and then apply it pretty quickly so then it sticks and then I can continue that momentum with learning and implementing that strategy yeah so and I think part of that I mean some of it we don't have the flexibility because it depends on when the conferences and trainings might happen but if you do especially right now with COVID and like so much stuff being recorded and whatnot if you have that flexibility try to plan your schedule accordingly okay I have six assessments due on August 1st. Now is not the time to be trying to learn a new skill. (laughs) I'm going to be like re-updating all my clients' treatment plans. I'm not going to have time. But, you know, come September 15th, I have like two months where I don't have any assessments due just because of how Mm -hmm. they, you know, reassessments due because of how they, whatever. So for September 15th to November 15th, I'm going to watch X trainings and like, apply that skill. Now, in the meantime, you may have things come up with your clients that you have to like seek some mentorship and troubleshoot and whatnot, but to like really dive in deep and become more of an expert on something like I, that's one thing I've done over the years is like, I'll like that early start Denver model additional training. I did that was two years in the making. I planned that for two years before (laughs) it actually happened. Part of that was because of their schedule, but like I saw a need for myself of like, I've always wanted to learn more about this than I know. And so I want like, what are the steps I need to take to get there? And then I executed the plan. It wasn't like, oh, you know, I'm at ABAI and there's this presentation. Now that does happen sometimes too, but you'd have to, it's rare that you're just going to find yourself with some extra time to just like do something. It's helpful if you can like look at your schedule more broadly speaking, even over the course of the year and try to like slate, these are the things I'm going to learn about at these times, you know? Um, yeah. And of course, based on what your current needs are and the clients that you're serving and stuff. Yeah. And I think, I think that's important to think, uh, to, as a new BCBA, to look in the future and plan because as a new BCBA, you might be overwhelmed and there's a lot of things going on. And like, I can tell you right now, like for me, like I have two assessments that I know that are going to be due here by the end of this month and then I have the treatment plans to write and I'm going to be busy right now it's not necessarily the time for me to 
jump into a whole uh, weekend long um, powwow of learning how learning about um, just anything like I, it, it wouldn't be the time for me to learn more about aim or act yeah. or <laughs> um, you know um, now's not the time but September or at towards the end of August oh yeah I'm gonna be ready I'm gonna be it's gonna be game on and I'm gonna be like hope I'm hope I'm gonna be hoping for some rainy weather so then I can just stay in the house all week all weekend <laughs> and uh just you know nerd out on some books so yeah and that's also helpful because like if you get it in your schedule and you plan it out as like an, any other appointments or whatever when things come up like if you know a client's asking you to add something and you can be like well no oh I'm full <laughs> right yeah. like it because if you just keep waiting for a time to happen where like you your schedule is not that busy like that's not gonna ever happen it's just not. yeah so if you can you know antecedently look out into the future and figure out like your professional development times that can be really helpful that's like such an like we didn't even have that as a question but I just yeah you know, where the conversation's going <laughs> yeah <laughs> See, I, I like that. I, li I like this, Megan. Like sometimes like we'll, we'll just randomly ask a question. So. Yes. All right. So then the next one is to share one or two examples of skill sets where you did receive close mentorship um, or more in-depth training and like how that went for you. So do you want to go first on this one or do you want me to again? Yeah, no, um, I can tell you like, like I said, like before the peak training, we had had so many trainings on how to use peak the direct training modules the generalization modules um that um that was really helpful to learn all those things and then i had some great colleagues of mine to really um watch them how they use peaked how they completed assessments how they uh filled out the triangle how they uh Rain, I mean, how they ran assessments uh, with their techs, and it was super helpful, and I'm forever grateful for those those colleagues of mine. Um, but it was, I mean, now I go into client, I'm not sweating how to complete peak at all, um, or these assess that assessment because I had great mentorship, um, supervision, and I got to watch um, some amazing people in our field complete those assessments as well. So, yeah, my, my, my answer is a little bit shorter. I know you're, you have a whole, you know. <laughs> I always have a ton to say. Um, I'll try to keep it somewhat short. So the first one is just precision teaching. So that, and that's an ongoing one. And it, part of that is because of the reason I talked about earlier, I don't always have the opportunity to apply what I've learned mm -hmm. from precision teachers immediately. Um, whether it's unfortunately like a logistics thing or if it's just like that I don't have clients where I'm doing that or if part of like a combo effect where it's like I don't have the bandwidth to like do that yeah. thing right now so I have to call in one of my precision teaching friends to do that work for me <laughs> um, so that's part of it but with precision teaching I mean it's such a there's people that like go to grad school and are immersed in, you know, working at centers or in-home services or whatever, where that's like all they're doing all the time. So it becomes easy to become really fluent with it. 
I did have the benefit of going to Morningside Summer Institute in 2014, I think. No, 2013. And then, no, 2014. Uh, sorry. And so there, it's like we, the week, the time we went, it was uh, two weeks, but usually it's three weeks. And in the morning, they do a lecture based thing and they like teach you about a concept. And then in the afternoon, you apply it in the classroom. So you did get that like immediate application opportunity and that was really helpful and I learned a ton while I was there but then it's like I came back and I was finishing up my last year in the doc program so I applied what I learned yeah. to some extent in my dissertation but not all of the things right and I had like all these lists of things like we need to start doing this and navigation but it just wasn't feasible yeah to do that and then I've also had like I've been fortunate like during my dissertation Kathy Fox was very helpful and Rick Kubina, who was my co-advisor and like helping to guide me there and like really mentor me and give me ideas. And then uh, since then, Kathy's continued to be involved in my life and Corinne Gist and Amy Evans, who are both BCBAs, but also precision teachers have done a lot to either do presentations for yeah. me, <laughs> like with couch to camp or teach me or answer my questions when I have them. But there's still just so much that I'm, that I feel like I know I can tell you the basic concepts, but like when it comes to executing or like if somebody were to contact me and say like, I have a client um, and we want to do like a ton of precision teaching stuff with them, I'd be like, I need to refer you over here because yeah. it's just still an area that I'm not immersed in regularly enough to, to really execute. But I'm, I'm so grateful that when situations arise, I can immediately go to them and ask for help and, um, and, and learn quickly, whatever it is I need to know. Nice. That one is an example of like the mentor, like really needing my hand held all the time, like really needing things like re-explained. And no matter how much I tried, like I read Rick Kubina's book, I went to conferences, I did all the things, but it's just one of those where it's like reading about it and then trying to picture how to actually do it just like did not click for me. So yeah. I have needed a ton and I, but I, I reach out. I'm not just like, do this for me. I'm like, I've, I've read X, Y, and Z, but I'm having trouble figuring out A, you know, so, and then we'll have a discussion about it. Um, so that's one where like, I even tried to teach myself, but I was not <laughs> successful. The ADOS, uh, doing the ADOS assessments, which is part of my job at FSU, is one where it's part of the process, right? Like to become reliable on conducting an ADOS assessment, you have to attend a training and it's like four days long and you, you go through each of the different modules and you practice with learners and they model stuff for you and you watch videos and you practice coding and all this stuff. And then because we were doing research reliability, we also did, I did several where I just watched the current researchers conducting ADOS assessments. And then I would practice taking notes and then like do the codes and then we'd share our codes and talk about why I was wrong. <laughs> And like what I missed and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was really helpful, but it really wasn't until I got in and started doing my own ADOS assessments. Um, and the way that we do that is like you, I would do them, but the researcher was in the room as well, watching and taking notes too. So that like for a reliability perspective, like we can still, there's still like a training component involved, but the most helpful part of my training was getting in there and actually just running the ADOS, right? And like, that's when I was able to figure out how I wanted to take notes and what I needed to like key in on and what, like how I was gonna like 
figure out the codes. If I had just relied on someone trying to handhold me through all of that, like I'd never, it would never happen. <laughs> it's like, it's not, and, it, and it's impossible with the ADOS too, because once whoever starts doing the ADOS, you don't flip in another person. It's just that one person that's running it. That's allowed. That's like part of the, the fidelity of, of running that assessment. So it's not like I could do an activity with a kid and then be like, Oh, sorry, researcher. I don't know what to do next. Will you help me? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like they may like have to tell me something like, Oh, you forgot such and such, but like, I can't just look to them and be like, come do this for me. Right. So, yeah. um, so that one is like one where it's forced upon you. Like what we were talking about earlier, where it's like, yeah, you have someone model for you and you read up and you learn about it, but you got to just jump in and like figure it out at some level. And the other nice thing with the ADOS too, that I learned the value of is just practicing outside of your actual like work. So in between assessments, because we would only have assessments like once a month, once every few weeks, if I didn't watch videos or like find other kids that were like typically developing or just friends of, that I had that maybe had even children already diagnosed with autism, if yeah. I didn't have a way to like practice that in between, I obviously would lose what I had learned so far. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that doesn't come up enough either. Like whether you're getting mentorship or teaching yourself, um, and you have some opportunity to apply it. So you need it fresh, but it's not frequent enough. Then you need to be making sure you're like making time to review and practice, whether you're practicing with a stuffed animal, <laughs> with your <laughs> spouse, um, you know, however it has to happen, but just to keep those skill sets fresh too. So those are my, my two with mentorship. Nice. Nice. Have you ever used, uh, have you ever done the ADOS with Blake? No, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he would how that would go. I have yeah. done it with a few adults as part of my training, um, that I yeah. had to do, but they were adults that were diagnosed with autism. So, yeah. But yeah, I, I'm just, when you said that you, you know, you did it with, uh, like, you know, friends or family, all I can think about is like, I love my wife. My wife loves what I do, but she, she has to constantly like put the, like the stop on the behavior talk <laughs> when we're at home, like we're home. You, yeah. you don't need to apply the principles on me. Okay. Yeah. That <laughs> so. did, that did make me flash back though to like when I was first starting to do VB map assessments and like, yeah. um, and also working in early intervention, um, which was like a whole different model, the way that things were set up under yeah. part C, you're supposed to do more like parent training and coaching and stuff. Anyway, like when I was talking about earlier, like your processes will change and whatnot. And it just made me flash back to you know, the first few times I had to do the VB map assessment and yeah. like freaking out <laughs> about like, <laughs> how do I organize everything? And like, where, I won't know where anything is. And I, what I, you know, what I found worked best for me was really like taking uh, things out from the assessment and like typing it up or writing it out. Like these are the things yeah. I'm going to test and having baggies ready to go and like just playing with the child and then like flipping in, you know, whatever thing I was going to do. Um, but it, it, it was so much like on my own outside at my house, <laughs> looking through and prepping and like talking myself through, like picturing, you know, what could happen. And of course it never really goes the way you picture, but at least you yeah. thought about it. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Um, that BB map is a beast, just a lot of different things that you have to have prepped and ready to go. So if you're a new BCA, I highly suggest taking like a week or two before you have to uh, do that assessment 
to really prep and make sure you have everything ready because yeah. it makes life so much easier. In contrast, one of my first jobs that I had was in North Carolina and they didn't use like the, they didn't use any of the typical assessments that you hear about, yeah. like the VB map or the ABLES, they used a developmental assessment and that was so much easier. Like it yeah. was harder for the first time or two because I had never been trained on it, but it was yeah. similar to like the ADOS and the Mullins that I do where it was like, here's your kits. These are yeah. the developmental things that this child should know for this age. You test until you get five zeros. Um, you, you have to get your basal of like five corrects or three or whatever it was. And you have to get your ceiling. Um, yeah. And like, then you move on to the next area. And it was just like, you know, boom, boom, boom. And then we would use that to inform our like programming. So yeah. that's a, a vote <laughs> in the direction <laughs> of, and, and it was helpful for the parents too, because we were able to tell them like, explicitly where their child was performing on this like developmental assessment. Um, okay. And a lot of the times the parents want to know those types of things, but yeah. I, I don't even remember what age range it was for that part of though, like the Mullen and the, um, I think it's called, it was like leap or lap or something that we used. Yeah. Um, and it, it's only for like the younger age. Like we were mostly working with like three to five year olds. So when you get into like the older learners, obviously that gets a bit more complex, but that's the case for any of the things we have. Really. Yeah. So, but it, it sure beats like being able to just go into a house and like have my materials set for that was like way easier than yeah. trying to like go through the entire VB map and figure out like, what am I going to do here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I totally, uh, I totally agree. Um, is the, is that development is the, I have never done that ables. Is that, that assessment that you were talking about, like the ABLES? I mean, the ABLES and the VB map are pretty similar. The ABLES has okay. more stuff. Oh, it's called yeah. the LAP, LAP3, the Learning Accomplishment Profile is what I used to use. Okay. Um, and it's, it, I'll, I'll like put a link in the show notes just in case people want to see it. But it's like, yeah. it literally, it's like a suitcase and it comes with like all the things you need. And it's <laughs> great. And the Mullen is the same way. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's only for like this one says three to five years. So like if you okay. have it says not for children under three years. So again, you get that like uh, the limit on you know what age ranges you can use it with. But it was just like so much easier. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's yeah. I I the school district I used to work for, um, we had these massive rolling suitcases full of stuff in them. And the, and it's for the, it was the Abel's kit. Yeah. And I, I can just remember, I mean, I can, like, I, I remember clear as night. Um, I mean, clear as day that there was one day I found a kit randomly stuffed in a drawer in my classroom <laughs> when I was like, you know, um, starting to clean out a classroom from the previous year. Uh, because uh, because it's a brand new year, and of course, you know the teacher was gone, and I found this kit, and I was like, wheeled it down to my principal's office. She's like, "Where did you get that?" <laughs> and I was like, "Just my drawer uh, in my classroom." And she's like, "Thank heavens you found it, because that's like two grand right there." Yeah, uh, and that's the thing, like that the the lap thing I just found is like five hundred bucks. The wow. Mullen one is not that expensive either, like because because the Ables and the VB Map are are programming like you use it to pro like those are that's a like hundreds of skills that you're yeah. hoping to teach a learner 
it's not an assessment <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. It's not right. Like it's yeah. a, it's a way to track skills that you might want to work on. Um, it's not a curriculum, it, even no. though people might say it is, this is a whole different podcast topic. I'll yeah. start. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go ahead and move on, but that's going to go into our topics in the <laughs> I'll future. Make a note. <laughs> because I, I'm curious now because like, I mean, I would love to learn more. Um, just because like, even like when I was in my school district, I never used a BB map. It wasn't until I became a BCBA that I started using it. But I use a wide variety of assessments right now. Um, and we, we just, uh, the company that I work for now, um, Acorn, we just added a couple of different assessments that we're actually going to implement which I'm super excited for. Awesome. So, we'll have to talk about that more too. Yeah, yeah we'll have to talk about that later. Cool. All right. So the last question, like close out is just like closing thoughts. I obviously have a lot of them. So I don't know if you want me to go first or second, but. <laughs> um, I'll let you go first just because, um, I mean, I'll keep mine pretty short. Um, just because, just, well, I'll just go ahead and go. Uh, so. <laughs> I think my closing thoughts, uh, there's a lot, as a new BCBA, um, there's a lot of things that we need to learn. Um, and there's a lot of things that we don't know. And it, and you need to constantly tell yourself that it's okay. I don't care that if you're in this field, I mean, if you're in this field for 5, 10, 15 years, there are still things that you're not going to know. And that's why I prepped myself when I came into this role is that I, I told myself um, actually the day that I signed my contract to be a full-time BCA, I told myself, I sat there, I was like, I, I took a deep breath because it's a lot for me because I, I, I'm giving up something that I've been working for for like for years. And then um, also it's a new step for me in the right direction, but it's still that uncomfortable feeling. Um, just because you don't know what's going to happen. And it was in the middle of COVID too. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I told myself, I was like, I'm super excited. This is, this is the first day of many that you're going to feel uncomfortable and you should continue to feel uncomfortable because there's so much that you need to know and you're not going to know it within the first five years. You're not going to know in the first 10 you're going to need to be humble with yourself and be honest with yourself if you know something or you don't. And you need to always think in the back of your head, how can I do better to provide the help that our learners need? What can I do to be the best BCBA and provide the supervision that my RBTs deserve? What can I do? to make myself better as an individual as well. So, so for me, then closing is just be humble, constantly seek out for supervision. If you don't know something, be honest and just show up. Show up whenever you're having a bad day, but make sure you check yourself, like, you know, mentally keep yourself in check, but, show up when you're tired, show up when you're um, not feeling it, show up and do your best. And 
if you're if you're not in the right mindset, then take that time to get yourself in the right mindset because these kids that we work with needs needs us, and the parents that we we work with needs us. So that's all I have to say. I love it. Um, much shorter and sweeter. <laughs> But okay, <laughs> here goes. All right, so if you're used to excelling, especially in class or previous activities in life, first starting out in this field can be even more daunting. Um, there's some people that talk about like coming into this field and like they never were really good at anything, but then they found behavior analysis and they were like, yes, this is it. <laughs> but there's a lot of people that come into this field who are used to just being like, that maybe they were working in a different, like, you know, they were an, a speech language pathologist or they, you know, um, special ed were, teacher. Yeah, special ed teacher. They ran some sort of business. And for whatever reason, one way or another, they stumbled into behavior analysis and they were like the experts and really great at what they did. And then they come into this field and it's like, you, it takes so long to like really become like any <laughs> sort of feel like you're being an expert. So because um, there's so much you need to know. And if you're not used to failing, it can be really overwhelming to think of that happening, especially when client outcomes depend on how well we do things. So yeah. it, it like obviously makes it important for us to have solid skill sets, but it just doesn't happen overnight. And you mentioned that as well. So, yeah. so these are some things I tell people to keep in mind. Um, first, no matter how many times I tell you or show you how to do something, and or we role play, it isn't until you get in there and do it that you're going to feel, get a feel for it, what the systems are, how the processes work best for you, and that you'll really start to grasp everything. So obviously it's important to get a solid foundation of the science, especially the analysis piece. So, you know, what I've talked about with taking what I knew about functional analysis and demand feeding and applying that to a novel situation. Like, obviously if I, it hadn't been for what I learned in class, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So if for whatever reason that didn't happen in your coursework, obviously spend some time doing that. Um, but you need to understand like how to read your learner and use shaping and pull apart what is happening behaviorally. But things like how do you conduct an intake? How do you make use of commercially available assessments? Yeah. How do you write programs, et cetera? All of that kind of stuff develops over time the more you execute your skill set. And of course, the science piece and applying that develops over time as you apply your skill set, but it, you just got to get in there and do it. <laughs> you, it, it. Like I can't just model it for you over and over and over. And then you'll eventually be like, I got it. Um, yeah. The second, Oops. Oh, go ahead. I was, I was just, I, I like, I like what you were saying. And I was just thinking to myself, um, I heard someone say before owning, Oh, Oh, up to your mistakes or Oh, up to your failures and just, uh, um, just own it. Um, know that you're going to make mistakes and it's okay. Yeah. And, and, um, I talk about this at the end, but it, and it may not even be a mistake or a failure. It's doing what you know now and then improving it later. <laughs> Just like, like that. I consider it a mistake. And again, I'm going to mention this one more time at the end, but I consider it a mistake or a failure. If you knew what the appropriate thing to do was, and you chose not to do it. Right. And then yeah. somebody caught you and said, why didn't you, <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, you're supposed to do your session notes right after session, but it's Friday and you want to go have a drink. And so you try to wait until 
you're going to do it Sunday night before anybody comes back to work on Monday and you forget. So Monday morning, your supervisor is like, Hey, why didn't you write that session? No, that's a failure. <laughs> right. But like, you know, <laughs> writing a program and not having it go perfectly based on the yeah. information you knew at the time, that's not a failure. That's not a mistake. Yeah. Um, okay. Number two, aim to work in a company where you have seasoned BCBAs that you can ask questions from, but don't rely on them to the detriment of your own skill sets. Sometimes when we observe seasoned BCBAs, it can be very intimidating. We recognize like we don't know nearly as much as they do, but we need to keep in mind that that seasoned BCBA was once where we are in the shoes that, that you're in as a new BCBA. Um, and they got to where they are now as a seasoned BCBA by just getting in there and applying what they know. Um, so I always tell people, you know more than you think you know, um, and, but recognize if you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. So it's better to apply the things you know and just like give it a shot and then get feedback. And the feedback will come from a variety of places. It'll come from your client because you'll see if it worked. And then, yay, I can do that thing again. Uh, maybe it's in at work and you can figure out why. Um, your seasoned BCBA might give you feedback. But if you never try, if you're just trying to like, rely on everyone else in your environment to do the things, then you'll never be able to figure out what aspects of your skill set are glows and like yeah. rocking it and what aspects are grows and need to improve, you need to like expand upon. Yeah. Okay. Number three, um, you, and this is like, pretend I'm talking to someone, you, <laughs> person that I'm talking to who's a new BCBA, know how you acquire skills best. So if you struggle to learn something new, take ownership of it. Set up a plan for yourself and seek out people to help you with it. This might mean just a self-management plan for yourself of reading and watching certain trainings and then trying to apply what you learned. It may mean setting goals of skill acquisition for yourself and enlisting a seasoned BCBA to help you get there. I get a lot of emails from people who seem to just want me to do the work for them. And they'll, they'll just send me an email and be like, Oh, I, I hear you talk about alternatives to escape extinction. Send me all your, the articles on that. And it's like, <laughs> there's this little thing called Google scholar. And if you type it in, you will come up with some stuff. Now I'm much more appreciative of the emails I receive where it's like, Hey, I've been doing research on alternatives to escape extinction. And I found this article here but I'm really struggling to find anything else. Do you have any advice? Right. Um, but don't just like expect like, Oh, I see this person knows more than I do. So I'm just going to try to have them like teach me by like putting their brain inside of my brain. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not how it works. And again, you miss out on like a crucial learning experience. I used to get so frustrated and I know like, I don't know if this is ever going to change now, but, um, when Facebook first started and people would come to Facebook and say, um, Hey, I need to learn more about feeding or whatever. And like all these people would just drop articles for them. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> why are we doing that? Um, and then like, there's like these arguments back and forth of like, well, if why, you know, reinvent the wheel and like a time response effort, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, there's a, that's a really important skill set. It's not always going to be the case that you can like drop a question on Facebook and have a bunch of people put articles in for you. Um, it's yeah. an important skill set to be able to use, even like using Google Scholar. I'm sure my predecessors would be like, why don't you just go to the library? <laughs> you know? like, at least that in Google Scholar, I have to like sift through and figure out which articles apply. I might find something I wouldn't have otherwise found. 
all that kind of stuff. So the same goes for any skill that you could be executing as a behavior analyst until, again, I know I've said this like a million times already, but until you actually try to do it, you won't get that feedback from the environment of like, where do you have it mastered or what do you need to improve upon? Yeah. So, um, my last point with that is kind of the same, but like we have lots going on. Um, we all have lots going on, whether it's a seasoned BCBA or a newer BCBA, but for the person trying to develop their skill sets, that new BCBA, you will never properly develop if you don't work out the plans for yourself and truly seek out guidance and support when you are trying and lost or you're setting goals and need accountability. It is not my job as the seasoned BCBA to make you as good as me. <laughs> like it's, I'm here to help you. Um, I'm here to like connect you with resources, but it's not my job to do the work for you. Nobody did that for me. And I wouldn't be the BCBA that I am if someone tried to. And we already talked about examples of that. So. Yeah. No. Yeah. And that's uh, um, really important to, to uh, constantly like, you know, put it the work in because um, I have seen people before, like even as a teacher, like try to always go to me or go to another colleague and ask them, can you do this for me? Can, and just instead of doing the work, they were trying to get us to do the work for them and they didn't last long at all. Um, it's very important to put in the time, put in the work, put in the effort. Um, my question to you, Megan, um, just piggyback off that. Um, how would you, as a new BCBA who wants to really dive into these things, these, uh, topics and to learn more, how would you structure your time to really focus on, like, let's just say, um, verbal behavior, if you want to learn more about it or peak or act or any of the million things that we want to learn. <laughs> yeah. So this one kind of ties in, I can't remember the life cycle of a BCBA episode yeah, that we had. Yeah. It kind of ties in with that where like, I'm sorry folks, but when <laughs> work-life balance is not, I, and I actually had some people contact me after that and like, you scared people, don't say this again, but it's true. <laughs> like I'm just being realistic here. Okay. Yeah. When you're new in any field, whether it's behavior analysis or anything else, there's going to be a learning curve. So like yeah. you may have your work day that's from like 8 a.m. until 8 p.m. And then on the weekends or at night, if you're wanting to develop skill sets, that's when you're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was fortunate when I was in that learning curve phase, I didn't have a family yet. I really didn't have a social life. So yeah. like it was easy enough. Like I just scheduled in, you know, and I was so motivated. It, I didn't really even have to like schedule it as much as like, now that I have a son and a husband and like different things I'm trying to keep up with, I have to, like I, we talked about earlier, like really plan out if I'm wanting to learn more about something, I have to like get it in my planner and like make it happen. So, yeah. um, so that's kind of where it is, where I am on it. And if you're working in a job where they're, they're filling your day so much with clients that there isn't room for professional development. And that's not like a temporary thing. Like that's going to be an ongoing situation for a really long time. Then you should probably talk to the, the company about like getting more of a balance in there. You know, like if you're working a 40 hour work week, I would hope 
that they could at least give you like two hours of that week to um, spend time on, you know, something either relating to like researching for your clients or some sort of professional development that like improvement for yourself. When, when we assigned clients at navigation before we would try to set it up to where you really had like 20 hours. If you were a 40 hour employee, you would have 20 hours with clients. 10 hours was probably travel. And the other 10 hours was supposed to be for like programming, treatment planning and professional development. So if you're in a situation where they're somehow expecting all 40 hours to be with clients, you if you're working for yourself, well, that's on you. But if you're working for a company and that's happening, you probably need to talk to them about like getting more realistic around that because that's not realistic. To be honest, that's that's where we see the burnout too. I, I can like 40 hours um, a week with just clients, you're going to burn yourself out um, very quickly. Yep. Um, it might not be a, a year from now. It might be two years, might be three, but then you're going to be done. Yeah. And like I mentioned too, when I started, I was working like 40 to 60 hour weeks and doing this stuff on top of it. But I was also in my like early mid twenties. And again, I didn't have a whole lot of other things yeah. going on. So it was easy enough to do that. I know not everyone will do that. I know that's not the way it works for everyone, but you do have to understand whether you're 25 or 50, if you're just getting started in this field for at least a few years, there is going to be that learning curve where you, you do feel a bit overwhelmed and how you structure that for yourself to maintain your sanity and your self-care and all that is yeah. on you as an individual to figure that out. Yeah. All right. I have one last point. <laughs> that last. We'll be done with our forever long podcast episodes. So my last thing is get comfortable with not knowing and frame it as you don't know what you don't know. Um, in the incredible words of Maya Angelou, quote, I did then what I knew how to do. Now that I know better, I do better. So this means when you get feedback on how to do something better, or you realize for yourself that you did something in a way that was not effective or less effective than it could be, don't beat yourself up about it. You did the best you could with the knowledge and the skill sets you had at that time. The only possible way to get that feedback and grow that knowledge is to try. And then once you know a better way to do something, do it better the next time. If for some reason you learned how to do something more effectively and you still chose to do it the way you were previously doing it, that is when an issue comes in. That's when you're like wrong and making mistakes. Um, But you would be surprised how often that happens. How many behavior analysts I've met where I'm like, you know, that's not the most effective way to do that. And they're like, well, it works for me. I'm just going to keep. And it's like, but your client <laughs> like, yeah. could be making better outcomes. And they're like, don't care. It's too much response effort for them. Yeah. Anyway, so make space for just getting out there and trying and try to refrain from being envious of seasoned BCBAs who seem to have it all figured out. Like they've done the work there, you know, where they are by doing the things that um, you're working through yourself right now as like a newer BCBA. Yeah. That's awesome. I I love that little quote too. That's uh, that's definitely a little bit, a little nugget that I love to like just keep in the back of my head or like in my planner, because I would love to refer to that as a new BCBA just to have in those tough days, just, yeah, just read that quote. (laughs) So it is good. And, and some people have asked, like, is that where like the do better movement came from? And unfortunately, I didn't even know about that quote until like the movement had started. Like I've talked about do
do better since like 2008. <laughs> so <laughs> I like, I, and I don't know uh, exactly when Maya Angelou like said that it's like different speeches and something with Oprah Winfrey to like her and Oprah had some like moments together about that yeah. concept. And it's, it is really helpful um, to, to think about. And it's a, it's a much better way to like sum things up. So, um, you know, very grateful to Maya Angelou for having said that that quote and similar ones. She has a few different ones with like similar statements about doing better in your life. Nice. Oh, before we leave, also, I got great. I, I'll tell you um, before we wrap up, but it has to do with our Do Better Pod Instagram page. Oh, good. <laughs> well, I think that was all I had for closing thoughts. I'm, I'm finally done talking. So. <laughs> No, that was great. Those were like four great points. And I, I'll, uh, I tried my best to like have this long, um, this long um, story or something. But like sometimes like for me, like the best thing for me is like just keep it sh uh, short and sweet <laughs> because I kind of ramble sometimes. Um, but on the um before everyone the listener i mean everyone goes um and we go forth and do better i just want to let everyone know that our instagram handle or our instagram name changed so it's no longer do better move it's actually do dot better dot pod yes so we have then to have our, our own yeah. our own instagram stuff yeah so uh <laughs> If you are not a member, uh, follower yet, go to Instagram, type in do.better.pod and follow us because there's going to be a lot more content that comes your way on there as well. As, and also continue to stay with the um, Facebook group because that is updated like every hour. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of action in the Do yeah. Better Facebook group. Well, and super excited, Joe. I know that's something that you're really into, and I look forward to seeing the additional content you create for the Instagram page. Yeah, I'm super excited. I love photos and I love um, Instagram. So um, there's a lot of stuff that I'm thinking about that Megan and I are going to talk about, and it's going to come down the pipeline here soon. So uh, stay tuned. Yay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to this episode. Again, if you have additional input or advice for people on how to learn the things, all the things, uh, feel free to, to connect with us and let us know so that we can share that with our listeners too. All right. And, you know, have a great weekend. Um, relax, enjoy, stay safe out there. And I would say go forth and do better. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Go forth on your quest and do better.